Welcome to the Angry Sun Zone, where today uh, we're going to ask, what's that on your head? Is that a Metroid? Oh, dread. We're going to uh, explore <laughs> what's in the garage, what, what, what game we're building, and uh, we're going to talk about the, all, the very next episode of the, what's that crazy anime shit that uh, Santo's playing. So, it's a uh, continuing series where yep. Santo continues to play strange anime RPGs with weird hooks. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, without further ado, welcome to the next episode of The Angry uh, Sun Zone. Are, I, aren't you welcoming to the current episode? <laughs> this is the part where we do the jingle. Da -na 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 -na. It's some motherfucking D.O. Double T. <laughs> Alright. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start. <laughs> so, me and Sean tried playing... I, playing? Is that the right word? I don't know. We booted up Game Builder Garage uh, because we were trying to figure out how it works and we thought, oh, you know, get some first impressions, right? Now, now before you continue, listeners and viewers and readers, I'd like you to take a moment to, to take a bet on whether you think Alex will like this and whether you think I will like this. And... Uh... <laughs> tell us on the channel. Tell us. Tell yeah. us. Share well, your thoughts. Firstly, let's, let's say what, what this game is. Yes. Yeah, so it's not really a game as much as it's a... It's a game studio. Yeah, it's like a game builder. I mean, it's... It's a game builder. <laughs> it's a game builder, a game builder I, that no, you can do in your garage. It's, 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 a, it's a stripped down uh, development environment for simple uh, video games. And it's very much in the vein of things like Super Mario Maker, uh, you know, which is another Nintendo product for making a platformer, a Mario platformer specifically. Um, or also, if you're familiar with on the PC, things like Game uh, Game Maker, uh, which is uh, very much similar in that it's script very heavily scripting based yep and uh you, there's these pre-built components like player characters and uh, landscape objects and pre-rendered graphics and things like that uh and then you can piece these together in theory into a game i mean you can you can uh but <laughs> depending on what kind of game you want to make well we'll get into that yeah. Uh, so, while are, this you... has a free-form kind of, you know, build-your-own-game, uh, what I should mention is that if you're an adult and, and, and not at all a child, you will find that uh, one of the first things it does is actually present you with... Uh, uh, it just throws you right into a, a, a boss fight. And uh, what is this boss fight? It's the fucking tutorial. <laughs> Worst boss fights. Uh, yeah, the game builder garage tutorial. Uh, there's approximately uh, eight to ten hours of tutorial in this game. Uh, you will be happy to know that those are not all mandatory, but the first one absolutely is. Yes, and uh, let me tell you, um, when uh, when the idea of a tutorial holding your hand comes to mind, game builder garage. Uh, has a vice grip around your fingers and is uh, um, gently guiding them to push the right buttons, uh, or else. <laughs> yeah. So the the first the mandatory tutorial is very heavy-handed. It's very 
uh, it just walks, it literally prevents you from doing anything other than clicking the exact buttons, and it makes you, it, it explains the most simple way, like, and obvious things repeatedly. And I, I get it, because obviously the game is aimed at a younger demographic, so that uh, children can, you know, make their own game. And that's, that's, that's great. And it's definitely not what, what we need. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we just wanted to go directly into the uh, free development mode. And yeah, it won't let you do that until an hour of tutorial that is very tedious. Yep. Yeah. It, it may, it may, that's the kind of thing that, like, I, I haven't played or really even seen anything of this game yet, but that's, some, that's the kind of thing that makes me wish that Nintendo would just put in an option at the start of the game that's like, I am an adult, or I've played a Pokemon game before. Like, shit like that, where they put out these games that have these insanely long and if you, you know, played games before, incredibly boring tutorials that I just wish you were able to skip. Yeah. Yeah, Pokemon's real bad for it sometimes, too. Just unskippable, unskippable tutorials. Endlessly. Well, on the other hand, you know, at least if the developers and, and their people put some work into it, Nintendo's sure to make sure that you uh, get to experience the hard work that they put into it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway... Uh, most of our time with the game, honestly, was spent in, in the unskippable tutorial Yep. Uh, so far. And then uh, we had this concept that we were going to try and do some sort of turn-based or unit-based uh, top-down game. And so we uh, were trying... I, my, my thinking was to try and create some logic to like move other pieces around board uh we failed <laughs> to put it bluntly well that's yeah. why that's why there's another eight hours to tutorials right <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah it's uh, the way that you're supposed to do logic is basically there are inputs and outputs mm -hmm. on certain logical blocks essentially yep. and you have to tie these logic blocks together in ways that then triggers other blocks right so uh, what i was trying to do was trigger a block that turns on when there is a thing inside it a specific object in the area that this block is this logic block is and then that gets chained to another block that is supposed to be uh turning on a sort of a grab function that it doesn't grab per se it just causes a force to be exerted on the object towards the center of or yeah i set it to center towards the center of this other logical block and these logical blocks don't actually they're just sort of areas of space that trigger and exert actions uh and then you can attach those to actual movable objects like the player character and things like that and you know uh we tried to use like a UFO character ship as sort of uh, a sort of cursor to move other people around. And uh, that experience swiftly left us cursing. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't really work. It, it sort of, it seemed like it should work, but it, it didn't. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
it's it's weird that's all i'll say and i think it's really designed for particular genres if you want to make a platforming game it's fine it's actually very easy to make a platforming game in it if you want to make uh actually any side-scrolling game probably is yeah, like a shoot 'em up or something yeah would be quite easy yeah yeah um or at least like intuitive as to how you're supposed to go about it um as soon as you're getting into anything that requires a state that's where i think it it's gonna it's gonna be a bit of a mess so if you're trying to yeah. if you're trying if you're trying to like maintain state in anything other than actual objects in the world it, it it's gonna be it's gonna be challenging um because it's it's essentially like event-driven programming where you can't define events other than in terms of <laughs> physical objects in space which i'm sure there's workarounds it, like they've got logical blocks that do logical operators like math functions and stuff like that and logic functions so like you can program there is actual programming blocks in there it's just i can't imagine trying to program like a turn-based game in it it seems like <laughs> a nightmare that seems like a challenge. I, yeah, yeah, it, it, I, it is a challenge. That's a hundred percent sure. If we manage to do it, you know, yep, it's a real, it's a real, real impressive. Yeah, you know what I'm, you know what I think about it. So previously, way, way, way back in the day, one of my earliest uh, experiences, or one of my coolest early experiences, was actually um, Game Maker Studio. Yeah, and uh, use that a bit in high school. Yeah, so back then. Um, yeah, fun fact, actually, um, I was playing with Game Maker Studio in my AutoCAD class uh, because I had finished all of the assignments early. Yep. <laughs> and everyone else was like, "Oh, what what's Alex doing? What what is he? What is he? What is he? What is he making? Like what what is this?" And it became everyone was so intrigued that everyone else stopped working on their actual AutoCAD projects and just started trying to use Game Maker. And the instructor was like, "God damn it! <laughs> what are you doing? What what have you done?" <laughs> uh, but actually, it, it ended up being kind of uh, kind of a good thing in a way because then, given how interested people were in, in this, uh, the other class, uh, our you know sort of info tech, information technology class, infotech, which was sort of generic, various compute computer skills, kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. in terms of what they were covering. They had a sudden but, bright idea. But but um, <laughs> the, the teacher actually incorporated Game Maker into the, into the information technology class uh, because obviously a lot of people actually wanted to try and make games in it. And so I, I got that added to the curriculum just by slacking off. <laughs> yep. Uh, and you know what? Um, you know what's interesting is even back then, getting getting the knack of, of how to make games in that, um, when I look at Game Builder Garage today, I feel like, I mean, I'm very, I must be very, very rusty, but I can feel some of the same, like, brain processes, um, you know, that I used back then to, let's see, I built an interesting Asteroids game, I built a mashup of the original Donkey Kong and Tetris, where blocks uh, would fall from the sky, threatening to squish Mario's head. 
Um, yeah, there's a few different concepts that, uh, you know, were relatively easy to do with the sprites back then. Well, I, I feel like Game Maker Studio, you had had more responsibilities, but also more power just being a PC game that I mean, was not trying yeah, to really like, yeah. With Game Maker, you could literally write action script. Yeah, yeah Game Maker had a full-fledged programming scripting scripting language but it was basically just a programming language built into it yeah so like you know will this game help you become the next great game developer you know it you know on nintendo switch maybe maybe not but will you know can you do some really cool fun quirky little experiments and especially you know if you're the kind of listener who you know has kids and you want to and they enjoy video games and you want to show them something cool that can let their creative side flow you know what Game Builder Garage, I, I would give it a thumbs up for that. You know, um, if cool. you look at the target market of who it's trying to reach, um, I, I would expect that a lot of fun could be had there because it's there. The the concepts are simplified, um, but once you get the hang of it, there I'm sure you can do lots with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like that's. Introducing programming concepts to kids nowadays is becoming extremely popular. Like, my mom works at a school, and she's working with some grade one students who are doing some rudimentary, like, logic programming uh, little games in in the curriculum. So, like, there's been a lot of effort to get, you know, people, people programming, people thinking about that as a career path. And that didn't necessarily exist all that as much when I was in high school. I didn't decide to become a programmer until a few years into college when I was doing something else. Nah, see, when we were in high school, you needed to dive deep into the bowels of your operating system to get networking functional. Oh my god. Just to play internet games. Yep. <laughs> we, we, had, we had a different... different A different set of skills. Yeah. A different set of skills, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, that's another thing. So the actual aesthetic of this game is it's very much meant to look like a child's toy box, like a toddler's toy box. <laughs> um, and that's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, they're trying to appeal very, very much uh, to that like younger children demographic. It has a little bit of a Nintendo Land vibe to it. Like, oh, for yeah. example... Um, a lot of the programming elements, they'll talk to you, and they'll have uh, uh, emoji-like um, characters to them, like hilarious faces. A lot of a lot of the buttons seem strangely angry, or uh, as, as as your girlfriend put it, determined. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought they were angry. My, uh, my girlfriend thought they were uh, uh, mis- mischievous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then they call it, it. One of the funny things is that, so if you know anything about actual programming languages that are uh, object oriented, uh, a lot of GUI libraries use a system of nodes and trees to uh, organize uh, GUI elements. And they've actually, they, they named Almost all of the elements, uh, nodons. <laughs> yep. uh, so it they're just nodes, but you know, cute. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of funny. 
So, but but I don't. But you know, a kid wouldn't realize that like the term nodon actually is just because it's related to nodes on like tree-based graphical interface organizational schemes. Uh, but you know, if they go on later to learn more about programming, they might realize, oh, I know exactly what this is. So as a as a learning tool, I think it's potent. It's got a lot of potential for. Uh, you know, for kids trying to learn a bit more about how programming works. Yeah, that's cool. Because I've used a couple of those, like, uh, there's a name for them. Uh, like, I don't think this is correct, but like human interface programming languages or like fifth level program. There's, there's some weird name for them. But I've used like Scratch and Construct 2, and they're... Both of those are terrible, like, in terms of just, like, how the, the performance of them is bad. Like, you just can't do anything, like, like, not like the performance of the games that you make, that's also bad, but just, like, the <laughs> performance of the of the tools themselves are are, are just abysmal. Oh, so, no. considering this is a Nintendo product, I'm yeah. assuming it's, like, very polished, very snappy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the, only, the only real, the only real problem is that you're using a controller to interact with with something that would be definitely easier with a mouse. Well, it's on Switch. Uh, can you use the touchscreen? Uh, I mean, we could have, but we plugged it in. in we, a were way absolute, that we, could we were absolute fools. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> also, yeah, it had to be plugged into the base for uh, recording purposes. Yeah. Oh, right, of course. Yes. So, yeah, probably we were doing it all wrong. <laughs> Perhaps. I, yeah, Fundamentally. It, it, in fact, you know, disregard everything we said. We don't know what we're talking about. We played <laughs> the game for like 10, 10 or 15 minutes other than a tutorial. <laughs> did, did these, you, are the, these are the first of first impressions here. Did you have a chance to play any games that anybody else had created? Are there like examples? It was extremely... Actually, the menus were really bad. That's oh, one yeah? thing. Because I don't yeah. know... I didn't see anything. I, I didn't see anything. To for, check out other people's games. I didn't see anything for that. Like, it was very minimal. I have a feeling that some of the stuff unlocks as you complete the tutorials. Because yeah, the free programming mode wasn't even unlocked until we did the first tutorial. Mm -hmm. The only menu option was start tutorial. Yeah. Yeah. Again, well, that's the biggest, that, like, my biggest beef with it at, at, is really just that you can't just jump right into it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Nintendo kind of did that with Mario Maker as well, where you only get, like, there's like seven or eight rows of different tools that you can use, but you only start with two of them, and you have to like check in like once a day to unlock a new row of tools. Oh, that's so you... awful. Yeah, and they also did, you know, even with Smash, which I mean, I liked that they did this. They kept the character count when you first get Smash Ultimate to like very small, and then you unlock as you go. Yeah, and like. Because how we did it, we got, you know, a bunch of friends together and played it so that when, you know, once when somebody won, there might be a new character that pops up and, all oh, the person that won needs to be that character. And then that creates, you know, fun stories, like how Dr. Mario kept pushing our shit in. Yeah. yeah. But, like, imagine, imagine uh, being a tournament organizer and realizing that you need more uh, Smash Ultimate kiosks at, at your uh, place. Then yeah. you gotta track down uh, fully unlocked copies of this game, like yeah, games that have a full save to have the save all the characters. Might, and the save data might not be easily copyable or 
whatever. But yeah. it's Nintendo, I highly doubt it would be. I mean, I know that. I know that on the Wii it was quite easy because it was literally just raw. Like if you put it on an SD card, it was yeah. you could just copy it straight over to. Well, you could one. do messed up shit with a Wii. <laughs> Project M is calling. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Speaking of uh, projects that start with uh, M, uh, I will finish that with Etroid Dread. Um, so. As a fan of the Metroid series, I uh, was definitely excited to hear about Metroid Dread, having actually seen the reference to it from, what was it, like almost a decade ago? Yeah. More than a decade ago? Yeah, it got teased. It got teased, though. Like a a real long time ago. Really long. Now, this is unique because... Quick side note, if you want to see uh, our real-time reaction to that announcement, it is on YouTube. Yes. We did react to that Nintendo Direct. So, um, Metroid is, to compare it to another game, I would call it a Castlevania-ish. I mean, Metroidvania is literally... Metroidvania is its own genre. Um, Oh, that term is so stupid. So, so... Fucking much. Uh, sorry, I need to go on a tangent about this. Let's let's (laughs) take us on this tangent, I love it. Like... The first few Castlevania games don't have a map. And, like, well, okay, Simon's Quest is a bit weird, but the map is just, like, literally going left to right and shit. But, like, the like it took until, like, Symphony of the Night or, or whatever for Castlevania to become like a Metroid. So I don't <laughs> like that they're called Metroidvanias. That's funny. Also, I think that Nintendo and Konami, Konami should collaborate and make a game called Metroidvania just to screw everybody. Oh! Now oh you can't God. put that shit in your descriptions on Steam. That would Because Nintendo hilarious. would throw a fucking fit. That'd be really funny. <laughs> um, so, with Metroid, uh, the series kind of has two uh, radically different experiences depending on which games you play. There's the Prime series, which are... Well, actually, no. There's the side-scrolling traditional series... Um, where you're, uh, where you've got a whole world that's kind of laid out and you're slowly unlocking items that allow you to explore, like push your exploration. So the environment the, itself I mean, that's, that's, is... That's the same for Prime. Um, but Prime is, but Prime is in 3D. 3D, yeah. Um, so, you know, and these games came out on the game? No, on the, uh, the first one came out on the uh, Super Nintendo? No. The, the, the Nintendo. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, the 2D, uh, the 2D so, ones were first on the, on the NES. So, you know, they go a long way back and have seen their graphical evolutions, and also, I think they've been on almost every console except for the N64, there was no Metroid game. Uh, um, and, and Wii U, there was no Metroid game. And the, and the Wii yeah. U. Uh, so, all along the way, you know, Metroid's been a pretty consistent um, uh, uh, series on the Nintendo um, and then they had their Prime series where they where they went from 2D to 3D and they did a really good job with the first uh, uh, Metroid Prime. Um, everything from the music to the atmosphere to everything else of that game was superb. Now, yeah. Metroid Dread is the first 2.5D Metroid... Uh, I mean... No, no, I actually can't call it the first. There's I other would not M. say that. Um, but... It is the first... You know what I'll say? If you, don't, if you don't travel into... Do you go into the background at any point? Is there any kind of, like, forward-backwards? That's not 2.5D. I'm sorry. 
I'm putting enough. my foot. I'm putting my foot um, down. Yeah, it's. I mean, but it, it but it is a like it's a 3D polygonal game seen at a two, like a side-scrolling 2D perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like is Guilty Gear, is Guilty Gear Zerd a 2.5D game? <laughs> no, no. It's rendered in 3D though. Yeah. That's crazy. What I'll say, though, <laughs> is that they... So, you're not really interacting with the third dimension in any meaningful way, uh, for the most part. But the atmosphere uh, that they've done now that they have that third dimension is done really well. So, for example... So, like, something that I find in terms of the difference between, say, the Prime games and Super Metroid is the atmosphere, right? Yeah. The, the atmosphere feels very different because, you know, you're talking about a 2D sprite-based game versus a 3D game. And they both have great, like, both styles have great atmosphere, but it's very different. Yeah. And so I'm curious what you think. How, do you think it matches the atmosphere more of the, like, visually, aesthetically, more of the atmosphere of the Prime, Prime games or more of the atmosphere of, like, Metroid, Super Metroid and... Zero Mission, those... Uh, I would say it's definitely closer to the Zero Mission and Fusion. I would say that Fusion is the biggest influence on this game. Um, Mm. Partly because of, uh, as the title namesake, Dread. Um, So (laughs) what you'll find... So for example, in the background... For those of you who don't know, Fusion was the the direct predecessor, essentially. Both in the the timeline, and it was the... uh, It was where Dread was first mainstream... It was yeah. the, or it was the it was the last mainline uh, title. Yeah, because yeah. when when they revealed Metroid Dread, uh, they initially said on the screen Metroid Five, and if and Fusion is Metroid Four, four. and like yeah, yeah, when when you boot up you know Super Metroid, it doesn't say Super Metroid, it says Metroid Three. Yeah, and it's not yeah, and the numbering scheme's totally messed up now because oh yeah it. It doesn't actually <laughs> like Met- Super Metroid was the third Metroid game, but Metroid Fusion was not the fourth Metroid game, and Metroid yeah. Dread is not the fifth Metroid game. Definitely not. not but, it, but it's but the fourth it, and the fifth but, original side-scrolling Metroid game. So, in terms of the main, in terms of chronologically the main story, they are. That's what the numbering at that at this point. That's what the numbering system really represents is yeah. the mainline story of the series arc. So to go back to the atmosphere, um, so they the the one thing that makes it that does kind of twist it a little bit towards the prime atmosphere is when you're traveling through, especially f- through an area for the first time, um, the 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 background almost get like part of it is spooky atmosphere. It's like spooktober, you know, like what is that thing skittering around in the dark, and am I actually going to see it pop out later and and, and interact with me some way? Uh, for example, I'm walking through uh, one of these rooms, and there's no enemies in it um, that you can interact with, but there's what looks to be a giant boss uh, being vivisected and operated on in the background. Um, and it, uh, I was wondering whether it would attack me at one point or pop out and be a boss fight all of a sudden. Um, but it just added to, quite frankly, a, a dreadful atmosphere. Now, the the main component. So most of these Metroid games um, that are... actually that reminds me that reminds me a little bit the way you described that of the space pirate boss in Metroid Prime because I think you kind of see him a little bit. Yes, and you you and you also get some logs about his behavior experiments. Yes, and uh, whatnot before before you actually fight him. Yeah, 
Um, so what's interesting, so this game has some very strange pacing stuff going on. Um, so traditionally, like the Prime games especially were very slow, you know, you're exploring, really absorbing the atmosphere, uh, versus the side-scrolling ones where, you know, you're progressing quite a bit quicker through the areas um, and exploring. Now, one of the things that they do that really accelerates stuff is there's enemies that have a lot of health, but they have, every enemy has a counterable attack. Well, almost every enemy. And if you counter it, uh, then your counterattack is lethal to it, and it gives you five times the items. So if you what? master these counterattacks, you're always going to be at near-perfect health and near-perfect missile count. Um, and uh, if you feel like a badass when you clear a room full of enemies after countering them. It's just, uh, it, that, it's great. That seems like a very dramatic change. It is very dramatic. Now, the tables all of a sudden get turned when, um, when you go through these entire zones. So these zones span many screens across, um, and inside is these nigh-invulnerable robots that have one mission to find you and end the fucking game with their I am going to kill you in one hit scene. They'll, they'll grab you and they will absolutely just murder are, are you. Are these the same robots from the reveal trailer? Yes, the Emmys. Yeah. Um, and, the, uh, the, 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 the portal uh, GLaDOS, evil, evil GLaDOS on uh, steroids. <laughs> yes, um, and there's multiple of these and every time you beat one, the next one you encounter will have more abilities, um, or at least an ability that's going to, uh, make it even as the next encounter even sweatier. Um, so what's interesting is most of the game is, you know, methodical. Okay. Is there, is there a secret in the room? You know, is there, uh, you know, is, is there an item in the room? You know, how do I get to the next room? But then when you get to these sections, it's, uh, oh my God, my heart's pounding out of my chest. I need to get out of this fucking zone because um, this thing is chasing me down uh, relentlessly. And eventually you get some tools that give you some wiggle room, like the ability to cloak mm -hmm. and avoid detection um, or the ability to create some distance between you and this thing. Um, and then eventually you'll find a... What's, what is pretty cool is there's these mini bosses that are a total throwback to Mother Brain. Um, just uh, everything about them, and then you suck their brain juices out of their corpse, and uh, it powers up your your gun. And then, but now the cool thing is, is that when you use this gun, it's one of the very few times when it shifts from being like head on to uh, shoulder camera behind Samus, and you can see very far. In fact, like through through the room that you're in, and into the next room if the door's open. Um, so this gives you enough time to prepare your ultimate counterattack against these Emmys um, and uh, melt their faceplate off. And then uh, the next thing, and it's quite comical because um, it really is really freaky, you're charging up a Dragon Ball Z-style Kamehameha, like, super, super beam. Um, however, this thing is also marching at you with a very determined, um, you know... Uh, Agenda to just rip oh, your so, fucking face off. So, uh, so Samus's final smash uh, from Smash Bros is uh, finally actually in a Metroid game. That's right. <laughs> yes, because um, they just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> no. Clearly, clearly, they had something in mind when they were doing that, and uh, yeah. So, um, and then you you steal the Emmy's abilities, and and then can wreak even more havoc. So, um, yeah, it is definitely uh, super super fun. 
that actually just makes me comment on, on, on one thing. So there's three types of enemies. There's your bog standard regular enemies, um, and then there's your mini boss slash bosses. Now, the mini bosses and bosses are very different than your normal enemies because there's no fucking counters, um, and they're very punishing. Like, you, the first time that you encounter a mini boss or a boss, um, unless you're truly on your A game, you're probably going to die to them. Um, I mean, that's classic Metroid, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, now, I've actually seen some videos online of what happens when you play in hard mode, and you can literally get one-shotted by a lot of the bosses. Um, so I'm glad that they didn't shy away from Metroid being a difficult franchise, though. Yeah, right? yeah. Because Metroid's never been an easy franchise. The first Metroid, frankly, is a total, on the actual NES, total pain in the ass. <laughs> yep. um, the, the remake, Zero Mission, you know, gives you a proper mini-map and things like that that let you actually understand, like, where you are in the world. So that, that helped. But it's still a challenging game that you need to have, like, some good platforming and kind of dodge, dodge your enemies' attacks and... Uh, you know, kind of just pay attention, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, same thing, Super Metroid, right? Uh, it's challenging. You, yeah. you die in those boss fights. Kraid in Super Metroid, I probably, probably took me like 10 times to beat him when I first played that game. Um, and, you know, the Prime series, wow. A lot of the boss fights in the Prime series are also just tough. They're tough, tough fights. Very much so, yeah. You have to be going in strong, and then you have to know the boss, and you have to watch that you don't run out of, you know, a weapon that they're weak to or something. Yeah. So I'm glad that they didn't shy away from that, because definitely some of the other series that Nintendo has, it feels like they've been trying to avoid making their games too hard, especially with the Mario games. More than avoid making it too hard, they just avoid difficulty in general. Like, yeah. You know. well, and, and even when they have challenge, they put in a bunch of things where you can skip it. Right? Like, in the... some of I, In some of the more recent, like, Mario platforming games, they add in secret... Not secret, but they add in uh, like, invulnerable power-ups like a super cloud or a super p cloud thing like in uh, super mario 3d world that like if you fail too much the game just gives you this ridiculous item that lets you like fly and be invulnerable for a time or something like it's crazy yeah and so there is no chat like they're removing the challenge unless you explicitly try and like prevent yourself from taking the handouts that it tries to give you and so I'm glad that they're, like, with Metroid, just keeping it as a difficult franchise. Because it's supposed to be. You're on an oppressive alien world. I actually have a comment about that. So um, what's interesting is, so one of the common features of the Metroid games is that it's it's got guardrails in that you have to, or, you know, if you're playing it ordinarily, you're going to unlock the same things in the same order every time you play the game. Um, but you can break the sequence of, of upgrades that you get, and when you break that, all of a sudden you have the ability to explore areas earlier than you were ever supposed to get access to them, grab items that you never were supposed to have access to. Um, and uh, traditionally, the video game designers, I suppose that it was just a thought in their mind, um, you know, as they were designing it, oh, okay, you know, let's make sure that the game, you know, 
doesn't end up in an unrecoverable or unproceedable state should people try to do that. Uh, and they've been successful at that. Uh, now, what's really interesting is that in Dread, the developers have actually, um, they've included like the, uh, semi-breaking the force wallish, like, um, you know, if, if you sequence break, they have entirely different cutscenes and uh, and ways to beat bosses and um, and other stuff. But to get there, yeah, you need... is it even sequence breaking at that point, or is it just here's the other way you could go through the game? It requires uh, now it really rewards you for for responding to challenge because in order to sequence break, you need to have mastery over certain mechanics that are never explicitly explained or trained in the game. Um, so for example, you know, you'd need a pixel perfect jump in order to make uh, it in there. And then, you know, uh, failure for that jump is, uh, is death. Um, and in fact, there's several of those. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and generally the sequence breaks aren't necessarily a combat focused thing. Um, however, with Metroid Dread, sometimes you have to perform these sequence breaking activities in an Emmy zone where you're being relentlessly hunted. And that just throws a whole new loop into it and makes it even more challenging. Um, and what's interesting as well is that there's different branches of sequence breaks. Like you can break the same sequence in multiple different ways, um, but and still come to the same you know end result of unlocking that extra cutscene or beating the boss in a different way. But depending on which items you picked up along the way, that opens up different avenues for you to go. Now, one of the downsides is if you somehow decide to do this on your first run like me, you may be a little bit confused because the guardrails have been broken a little bit and you may not be as sure about where you need to go next. Um, so to counter that, uh, I find that I'll take a break from the actual action of the game every now and then and I'll just stare at the map. Um, and they have some great features within the map that let you... Uh, flag certain types of items that are only interactable um, or certain types of certain types of level features that are only interactable with certain items that you've picked up. Uh, you can um, drop a marker, uh, several different kinds of markers actually, uh, and, uh, and, and tag certain items that you'd want to come back to later or areas you want to avoid or areas you want to explore. Um, and uh, it's great. I, I think they've done a great job of making the map an actual feature that, you know, you're not just... When you go in there, you're not just doing it to alleviate the the question of where do I go next. Um, you can you can get a lot more out of it in terms of uh, um, planning out how you're going to upgrade your character, um, and and also just uh, um, be able to defeat some of the characters like the Emmys and stuff. Yeah, um, so. I will just, I'll conclude this by saying that of my experiences so far, I really like Metroid Dread. If you're a fan of the Metroid series, I highly recommend it. Um, it is definitely friendly enough that if you haven't played any Metroid games before, you could try it. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll have a good time. Um, and I would probably rank it... It's, it's very hard to beat the first Prime, and so I, I wouldn't rank it as high as the... First uh, Metro Prime, but uh, it is very, very solidly up there in terms of like it's it's one of the best side-scrolling Metroids that I've ever played for sure. Um, they've done very well with uh, with the three D experience um, that you have compared to you know the flat two D uh, graphics that they've had before. Nice. 
Yeah, cool. Eventually, I'll buy a Switch and have to play it. <laughs> Eventually. Considering the price of a lot of games on the Switch, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll sell you my Switch. <laughs> make, make this thing work for me. As far as what I've been playing, the uh, the next game on the Santo dumbass RPG train is uh, Vesteria Saga One: War of the Scions. Now, okay, hey, Vesteria Saga One. Yes. Is, but there is no two, is there? Not yet. So, very ambitious of the developers to stake their claim and say this is the first of a series. Yeah. This is a, this I re- mean... This reminds me of old Japanese game development where stuff like Ogre Battle and Shenmue were like, yes, these are, you know, eight or thirteen part series that... And this is the first one we put out. It's like, uh, this will never get finished. And they never did. <laughs> I mean, at least, you know, there there is... There is a precedent of at least the opposite direction working out very well. Final Fantasy was actually supposed to be... <laughs> yeah, the, the last one. The last one. The, like, the first Final Fantasy was actually supposed to be the end of... Yeah, it's just like, alright, Square, Square, we're done making games. No more. Nope. Little did they know. <laughs> uh, and there's... Alright, there's a very good reason why this reminds me of old Japanese game development, and that's the director, which I'll get to in a second, but... Okay, stop me if you've heard this before. A... I have heard the word A before. God damn it. (laughs) A royal is displaced from his kingdom from an invading force, and he has dumb, dumb colored hair, and so he needs to, over the course of many different encounters with brigands and bandits rise up, raise an army to take back their homeland in turn-based battles with permadeath and random stat upgrades when you level up. (laughs) Okay, until the last, until the permadeath and random stat upgrades, I was going to make a joke that we talked about Wargroove like a couple months ago. (laughs) Well. But uh, it's a very, it's a very, uh, but also some Fire Emblem games. Yeah, that's because this is this is directed by uh, Shuzo Kaga, who directed the first five Fire Emblem games. Ah, well, perfect. Huh. And left, started his own company, made a game called Tearing Saga, which was so similar to Fire Emblem that Nintendo sued them, <laughs> and they had to pay a fine. Wow. Uh, retired after a while, and then just showed up and said, Yo, I'm making an, an, another one of these things. Well, I mean, at this point, that's a weird loss. That seems like a weird lawsuit to me because if you don't use art, as long as you're not stealing the art assets or characters or stuff like that, you can entirely make like ripoffs in terms of it's the exact same mechanics in games without. Well, I mean, I don't know. A, I haven't. Pl- played or seen Tearing Saga, so I don't know how similar it is, and B, I don't know Japanese copyright law. Yeah, it might be something weird about Japanese law specifically. Uh, but I digress. Um, Interesting. This game is Fire Emblem. <laughs> okay. It's just Fire Emblem. Is it? Is it, like, better than the more recent Fire Emblem entries? It's difficult to say. Because it's Fire Emblem. <laughs> because, yeah, okay, this is old... Fu- Here's the thing. How old is this game? This game came out in 2019. 
Okay, so it's pretty recent still. Yeah, it was announced in 2015. Oh, okay. That's and a, that's, that's going to make a lot of what I'm going to say later on not make sense, but... Sorry, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, let's... Okay. So, the very early Fire Emblem games, 1 through 5, this, these are the ones that are on the, the NES and the Super Nintendo, are, like, that's one era of Fire Emblem. Then you get to the GBA and GameCube and Wii game, that's another era. Then you got a couple remakes, which nobody cares about, and one of them wasn't even released uh, North America side. And then you've got the Waifu era. <laughs> uh, so, these games... <laughs> These game, and now I think that the uh, GBA and GameCube era, that was the golden era of Fire Emblem. That everything was firing on all cylinders. Those games yep. were super polished, super tight playing. I playing them. I cared about the characters and the story. Uh, the older Fire Emblem games, you can they show their age a lot. They're yeah. I've played. I think it was supposed to be uh, was three on the SNES. Oh, I forget. Yeah. Because 3 was a weird, like, it was a sequel to 1, and it, I don't know. What? Yeah, I can't remember which one it was, but I, I tried playing one of the SNES ones, and it was, frankly, I, I don't think I beat the second mission. Yeah. Because the game was so punishing. So punishing. Yeah, that was probably Fire Emblem 5. It might have been 5. That game is bananas. Oh, it was probably 5 then. But... Actually, Anyways. I was thinking, I was actually thinking it was three or five. Yeah. And, nah, it's probably five. So, those older games, they have a certain, like, the game design just isn't, isn't tight. The, the maps are gigantic, and like, in Viserys Saga, the maps are also just gigantic, but there's like, large portions of the map where there's kind of nothing. So it doesn't really make good use of the space. It's just, yeah. it's just like more shit to scroll around on that is like just annoying. You know, um, I'm just looking at some gameplay screenshots right now, and I'm I'm really seeing what you're saying already. Just a lot of empty space, a lot of space that's just unused. That it's that's very samey. Yeah, almost. right, right. Like a mountain range that's that's the second map that you're looking at right now. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's it's huge. There's no reason for it to be that big. And at, at least it seems to have old Fire Emblem uh, concepts of splitting up your troops to go to multiple objectives. That's good. Oh, yeah. And then I was also going to say that this this is very much like a SNES era. Well... Like, like it looks like a SNES RPG. Well, here's the thing. it The game... It seems like it was made in fucking RPG Maker or something. It's so ridiculously unpolished from a visual yeah. standpoint, from a menu standpoint, yeah, from like, an animation standpoint. Like I was going to say, actually, just looking at some, some, some screenshots, it looks like a really generic SNES era RPG. Not, yeah. like, a, not like a good SNES RPG. Yeah. <sighs> there was this game, I forget the name of it, but it was like a free game. Like, like, like Chrono Trigger looks beautiful. These yeah. screenshots don't. Huh. Yeah, like... And, like I said, like, the menus are completely unpolished as well. Like, oh. the, the flow, it just isn't there. A lot of that doesn't make sense because, like, I know that he didn't really work on, you know, the more modern, 
more modern, you know, snappier Fire Emblem games, but you could have at least looked at those and said, like, oh, here's how you do a really, you know, good menu for trading items between units. But in this one, it's so, so clunky. Well, and, and just, you know, just, again, I'm looking at this, and, you know, the thing that stands out to me about the menu in this screenshot is that it doesn't match at all. Like, the visual style is that of, like, a smooth gradient... And, you know, against the pixelated... Yeah, that's why I'm saying why it looks like it was make, made... RPG-like aesthetic? It looks really weird. Yeah, that's why I'm saying when it's, I say it looks like it was made in RPG Maker or, like, a visual novel engine or something. Yeah, this this totally looks like a visual novel engine, to be honest. Like, like the, the style of the menus, specifically. Which mm-hmm. is... That, that... And that's not... That's not a compliment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like... The gameplay is just Fire Emblem. Like you, it has pretty much the same exact stats as Fire Emblem. <laughs> they, the leveling up system is the exact same. There's you know promoted units and like base units. There's there's a bunch of different weapons. It doesn't seem like there's a weapon triangle though, which sucks. Uh, one good thing about one good thing about it is that there is a huge variety in weapons. Like in Fire Emblem, there's like you know the very standard you know like your base level lance, your like second tier lance, your third tier lance. Uh, it goes... Those jumps are fairly, like... They're they're substantial in quality between them. In this, there's a lot of weapons that are just, like, have very slight stat differences. So if you really want to get, you know, technical about it and match, you know, exactly what you want for any given situation, there is that there. Like, the the core tactical gameplay of this game is just as solid as any of the good Fire Emblem games. That's not really the problem with it. But just the fact that it's so bloody unpolished just makes me not want to play it. I played like about four missions and I don't know if I'm going to go back to it because I'm like, I could just play, you know, Fire Emblem 7 again and (laughs) have a better time. (laughs) You know what? Huh. And... Oh, and another thing that harkens back to very old Fire Emblem games is that this, on the level that I stopped at, there's a really just, like, stupidly punishing sequence that it doesn't really communicate to you, where you go to this uh, house, and they're just like, oh, these guys stole this, like, statue from me. If you, well, not, not, like, statue, but, like, this, like, little religious icon or whatever from me go to their cave and get it back and there's a cave and then there's a few people there that are allied not allied troops but just like npc troops they're 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 not aggroed towards you so you're like okay well i'm gonna go get that back why not right uh as soon as you cross like a little bridge to get close to them they all aggro you all at once there's one unit in particular that's like super powerful that just like ran up and just like one round and my one of my guys killed them. I'm like, well, what the fuck is going on here? And turns out that's a character that you're supposed to recruit like way later on in the mission. But this sequence happens right near your initial deployment spot. So you're going to do it right away. You're not going to wait until the time comes where there, you might get the information that says, hey, maybe don't engage these people <laughs> yet. So it's... I don't want to be too harsh to, like, the, you know, the director that created Fire Emblem, basically, but 
he should have stayed retired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder, too, if it might be one of those situations where, you know, a director of a beloved franchise uh, maybe got too much creative control and made Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> oh no one was willing to say no. The game okay. shouldn't look like an RPG maker. Like... <laughs> special yeah. like the anime the combat animations look worse than the super nintendo games <laughs> wow that's how bad this thing is they're like they're like the walk cycle is two frames for the character walking from one entire side of the of the screen to the other side to hit a, a dude with a axe which is also like two frames yeah so you know it's funny okay so the, these are some screenshots from a game made in rpg maker and it literally looks yeah so close like it's it's like the it's it's practically the same style of art yeah except with better a better looking dialogue box oh wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i i can't recommend this game uh well okay if you're really pining for old style like 1 through 5 style fire emblem and are okay with dealing with a bunch of really like bad jank. I mean, to be then fair, sure. which if you played the one through five Fire Emblems, are you're also filled with bad jank. You're you're used to that at that point. Like, yeah, this you know, I'd give it a look. It's pretty cheap. It's on Steam. Um, sure. Yeah. But as for me, play Fire Emblem Seven. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I might just do that <laughs> or move on to something else. Play more XCOM mods. No. <laughs> I've had I didn't to realize, as someone who has tried it, who's at least tried a Fire Emblem game, but has not really ever dug into the series, I did not realize how far back it goes, actually. Yeah, Fire Emblem is super duper old. It's, you know, it was released fairly early in the NES lifespan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was... I think the first Fire Emblem was released before well, yeah, the first it's Famicom Wars. Because the too. first few didn't get released in North the, America. The first six didn't get released in North America. Yeah. So it didn't really... Yeah, we forget how old they are. It's the same thing with the Advance Wars as well. Because, you know, there's... I think that Advance Wars also dates back to the NES. Yeah, the, with it Famicom, started with Famicom, Famicom Wars, Wars, and there was Game Boy, there was Game Boy there was Wars. Game Boy Wars, and Super Famicom Wars, and then Advance Wars, and then once they got to Advance Wars, what, were, they were just like, nah, okay, now it's Advance Wars, because it was actually popular. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, they, they, it wasn't DS, well, there, it was Advance Wars Dual Strike, actually, DS. to be fair, to be fair, And then Days of Ruins just threw the name of convention yeah, out the window. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be fair, I think also some people... Because they had another game that was sort of supposed to be in the series. Um, Battalion Wars. Battalion Wars. <laughs> and everyone lost it about the name. They're like, why would you name it this or something? Why isn't it GameCube Wars? Yeah, a lot of people were upset about the name. And, oh, uh, that game was rough. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think they just decided that something resembling a brand would be um, more useful than yeah. changing the name every <laughs> console. Yep. <laughs> That's how, that's how you know uh, um, you know the, the, the collective in, intelligence and and, uh, and and leadership on a team when, when they really love games but haven't necessarily thought about other things like the marketing and <laughs> I, although okay one thing which I will say is that the 
the the pipeline train from Super Famicom Wars is amazing. It is absolutely incredible. It's so stupid, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, those get some of those earlier like Famicom and Game Boy Wars games had really crazy like more in-depth mechanics than the newer ones. Yeah, too. yeah, they had some weird stuff going on and I love some of it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we used to frequent an Advance Wars forum, and I remember there was one guy who would not shut up about Game Boy Wars 3 and how it was so much better. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> All the new ones. Would that be the Advance Wars by web? Uh, they were... No, I, well, I mean, that had a forum, right? That had a forum, too. Yep. Yeah, but Advance Wars Net, which sadly I think is dead. It's, <laughs> oh, it's died it's, several times. Yeah. <laughs> Good memories of internet forums. Remember those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, before everything got homogenized into Reddit. Yep. And Facebook and Twitter. Yep. Speaking of Twitter, you can contact us at Angry Sunzone on Twitter and also email us at, you know, angrysunzone at outlook.com. You can get in touch with us. Yeah, you can reminisce watch, about the old days. You can watch our you can watch our YouTube videos and comment us there. Uh, and we hope you had a wonderful time hearing about this shit we've been playing. <laughs> Have yourselves a fantastic day. Everybody.